Roger Stone gets three-plus years, but could friends in high places keep him from spending even one night behind bars? The lead starts right now. Breaking just minutes ago, President Trump weighing in on the sentencing of his former political pit bull and attacking the jury foreperson in the case and dropping hints that he might use his pardon power to free the man who broke the law in service to him. He rolled snake eyes in Vegas, but he's still up $64 billion. Did Mike Bloomberg's bad showing on the debate stage last night change any minds today in those states where he has essentially taken over commercial breaks? And the next intelligence chief, an election security boss, short on expertise, long on loyalty to President Trump. Why the president's pick for acting director of national intelligence is setting off some alarm bells. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We start with breaking news just hours after his longtime friend and advisor, Roger Stone, was sentenced by a judge to three years, four months in prison. President Trump, just moments ago in Las Vegas, dropped some strong hints that Stone might never see the inside of a jail cell. Roger has a very good chance of exoneration, in my opinion. In terms of a pardon, President Trump said he would not take any official actions now since he would like to see the process play out. But the president also suggested he would make a determination on the matter at a later date and that in his view, Stone had been treated unfairly. Stone, of course, was convicted by a jury last fall of lying to Congress and threatening a witness. The president has in the past attacked the prosecutors in the case and the judge in the case. And today he specifically singled out for criticism the forewoman of the jury. The woman who is in charge of the jury is totally tainted. When you take a look, how can you have a person like this? She was a anti-Trump activist. Can you imagine this? There is no evidence she is an anti-Trump activist. The forewoman is a Democrat and had run for office before, but Stone's attorneys were well aware of this. They asked her if she would be capable of judging the case without bias. She said yes. They took no actions to remove her from the jury. We should also note that the president's own attorney general seems to think quite the exact opposite about the fairness of this case, as he told ABC News just days ago. The Stone case was prosecuted while I was attorney general, and I supported it. I think uh, it was established he was convicted of obstructing Congress and witness tampering, and I thought that was a righteous prosecution, uh, and uh, I was happy that he was convicted. Mr. Trump's comments come in the midst of his post-acquittal tour, where he seems to be punishing his enemies and rewarding his loyalists. CNN Sarah Murray kicks off our coverage from the federal courthouse in Washington. A federal judge sentenced Roger Stone to more than three years in prison and two years of probation today as she delivered a scathing condemnation of the actions of President Trump's longtime friend and political advisor. This case did not arise because Roger Stone was being pursued by his political enemies, Judge Amy Berman Jackson said. It arose because Roger Stone characteristically injected himself smack into the middle of one of the most significant issues of the day. Jackson said the dismay and disgust over Stone's behavior should transcend party lines. Stone was not prosecuted, Jackson said, for standing up for the president. He was prosecuted for covering up for the president. 
Stone stood quietly, his hands in his pockets, slightly slouching as Jackson delivered the sentence for the seven charges, obstructing a congressional proceeding, witness tampering, and lying to Congress, including telling lies that protected the president. The fact is that Roger Stone was treated horribly, and so were many other people. Their lives were destroyed. The case played out amid extraordinary political intervention, as Trump called Stone's prosecution unfair and suggested the judge was biased. The judge and government prosecutors appeared determined to defend the judicial system in the face of Trump's attacks. Prosecutors initially asked the government to sentence Stone to seven to nine years in prison. But Attorney General William Barr overruled the recommendation in favor of a lesser sentence. In response, the four prosecutors resigned from the case. The new government prosecutor named to the case, John Crabb, defended the original trial team. This prosecution is righteous, Crabb said. Jackson drove home the seriousness of Stone's crimes. Now, Roger Stone left court today without speaking on his behalf. He did not speak in the courtroom. He did not speak to the press when there was a frenzy on his way out of the courtroom today. Instead, he left here. He went to a Washington, D.C. restaurant, The Palm, where he watched the president's remarks about him on his phone. Jake. Okay, Sarah Murray, hold on right there. I want to come back to you. President Trump just went off about Roger Stone while speaking to a group of former prisoners at a criminal justice event. As we keep refreshing the president's Twitter feed to see if he is going to make an official comment about uh, whether or not he's actually going to issue a pardon before Stone goes to jail, let's bring in Caitlin's, Caitlin Collins at the White House. And Caitlin, the president did not explicitly say a pardon is coming. Uh, he said he wanted the process to, to play out. But he was pretty clear he doesn't like the way this has gone down and that Roger Stone's going to be exonerated one way or another is how I interpreted it. Yeah, and Jake, I want to highlight where the president made these comments. He's speaking at the Las Vegas Police Department at a graduation ceremony for former prisoners who are re-entering society where he essentially indicated he is not going to pardon Roger Stone right now. But, Jake, he is leaving the door open to doing so in the future. I'm not going to do anything in terms of the great powers bestowed upon a president of the United States. I want the process to play out. I think that's the best thing to do because I'd love to see Roger exonerated and I'd love to see it happen. Now, Jake, speaking in front of these former prisoners, the president downplayed Roger Stone's crimes, saying they say he lied, but other people lie too. All right, Kaylin, stay there. Sarah, let me bring you back. Uh, Sarah, take a listen to President Trump just moments ago talking about uh, the forewoman of the jury. It's my strong opinion that the forewoman of the jury, the woman who was in charge of the jury, is totally tainted. When you take a look, how can you have a person like this? Sarah, fact check that for us. You know, there is a foreperson of the jury that Roger Stone and his allies have taken issue with. They've actually used juror misconduct as a basis for their submission for a new trial. And the predominant thing that got their attention was this foreperson posted on social media about how she was defending the integrity of the prosecutors, the four prosecutors who resigned from this case that the president and the president's allies have attacked. Now, uh, Roger Stone's allies have flagged other social media posts. They're trying to make this woman appear to be completely anti-Roger Stone, completely anti-Trump. And look, this is an appeal that's before the judge. The judge has said she's going to consider it, but they also had an opportunity to remove this person from the jury at the beginning and didn't do so. 
That's exactly right. And it's not like we live in a world where only Democrats are on juries for Democrats and Republicans for uh, Republicans. Sarah, take a listen to what Seth Cousins, a, a different member of the jury, told our Chris Cuomo just last night. Uh, Tamika actually was perhaps the strongest advocate in the room for a rigorous process for the rights of the defendant and for making sure that we that we took it seriously and looked at each charge. Without her in the room, we would have returned the same verdict and we would have returned it more quickly and without looking as deeply into the evidence. Seems to undermine exactly what President Trump is saying. Sarah. Yeah, it does undermine. It does undermine what Trump is saying. I mean, you see another member of the jury saying this four person made us look harder at the facts and really evaluate this. And I think when we talk about how this jury was selected, yes, the judge was one of the people who was uh, ferreting out any potential bias. That is something that was considered. But Roger Stone's team also had an opportunity to question these jurors about political bias before they were selected. So it wasn't just the judge handpicking these folks. It's not like Roger Stone's team is suddenly learning about this member of the jury for the first time. Again, it is ultimately up to the judge to evaluate these facts, to decide whether Roger Stone deserves a new trial based on them. But this is not someone who was flagged to be removed from this group at the beginning when they were screening for political bias. Uh, Caitlin, uh, take a look at what President Trump tweeted this morning, the same time that Roger Stone was being sentenced by the judge. Uh, the president tweeted, they say Roger Stone lied to Congress. I guess he was watching CNN. And then the president says, oh, I see. But so did Comey. And he also leaked classified information for which almost everyone other than crooked Hillary Clinton goes to jail for a long time. And so did Andy McCabe, who also lied to the FBI. Fairness. So, Caitlin, I find it very difficult to imagine President Trump just letting the system play out. And if that includes Roger Stone going to jail. Yeah, and you would be right in that because the president is essentially saying, let's let this play out. We know Roger Stone wants a new trial, but the president is making pretty clear. He's indicating that if that does not play out to his satisfaction, that a pardon or a sentence commutation for Roger Stone is in the future. And Jake, we should also keep in mind that Roger Stone's allies have been lobbying the president for months to pardon Roger Stone if he did get jail time today. Of course, he did not get a short sentence from that judge today. So it's really hard for people who know the president well, know what he's been saying about this privately, to see how he does let this go. Right. It's a shorter sentence than the original prosecutors recommended, uh, but still three years, four months in jail is not pleasant for anyone. Uh, thanks so much to both of you. Coming up, how President Trump's new attacks could have a lasting impact on the judicial system. That's next then. It's not as if he'll be overseeing multiple U.S. intelligence agencies or anything. President Trump names a new acting director of national intelligence who has some key expertise missing from his resume. Stay with us. Roger has a very good chance of exoneration. I'd love to see Roger exonerated. And I'd love to see it happen, because I personally think he was treated very unfairly. I'm going to watch it very closely, and at some point I'll make a determination. But Roger Stone and everybody has to be treated fairly. And this has not been a fair process, okay? That was President Trump just moments ago in Las Vegas doing nothing to dispel the rumors that he will pardon his longtime friend and ally, Roger Stone. He went off about the fairness of the conviction, all but assured that one way or another Stone will be exonerated. Uh, let's chew over all of this. So he said he's going to be watching uh, the process. The next step in the process is that the judge will consider uh, whether this petition from his lawyers, Stone's lawyers, uh, that the whole case should be thrown out and retried because there was a four-person uh, who had said things critical of President Trump 
uh, on her social media posts, whether or not that would necessitate a new trial. Assuming that does not happen, and I'm pretty sure that it won't, don't you think he's just going to pardon him? Isn't that the next step? Yeah, I, mean, I think he just set it up to, to say, I don't know, let me pick a time frame, maybe second week of November of 2020, he'll, have, he'll reconsider his event. I mean, if you look at that, the, the way he was talking today, he was clearly laying out, I want all the appeals, he'll be exonerated. He actually even used some of the defense's points on the, on the, the chairperson in their appeal uh, for a retrial. So I, I, I think he has set it up for that. But can I say, what well, this is really important to me. I, 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 was, I really wasn't happy with the sentence guidelines. I thought that the prosecutors overstepped their bounds, which is a obviously real... The, obviously the, the judge agreed with and you. And my argument is this is a, a really a great day for the judicial branch. She could have taken a motion into this and given them a lot more time. She had that document in front of her. She said the fair sentence is this basically three years, two months or something. I argue this is a great day for the judicial branch of the United States. It shows despite the misgivings and the prosecutorial teams, it could have been a circus. Mm -hmm. She came out, she based on the facts that she heard before her uh, and what he was doing, gave, I thought, a very fair sentence for what he did. That, to me, is a good day. I feel a little more confident today about the, the uh, judicial branch moving forward and doing the right thing on so, this. So, Kerry, let, let's, uh, because you've actually tried cases, um, there are a lot of people out there who might not be familiar with the process of selecting a jury. And here, oh, well, this woman ran for office, the foreperson of the jury. She's a Democrat. She's said negative things about President Trump and social media one way or another. Um, that doesn't sound fair. Um, explain how this process works, because the Stone... Juror, uh, the Stone uh, lawyers mm -hmm. knew that she was a Democrat, knew that she had run for office. Right. So they went through the voir dire process. And so they asked her a whole. That's the process of picking a jury, of selecting the jury. Yeah. And so um, lawyers, they can they ask a whole series of questions to, to try to discern whether or not a juror would have potential biases or not. And then they have an option of whether to ask for that person to not be part of the jury. And so the in this particular case, the, the lawyers did ask her a series of questions, um, some that revealed that she had been a candidate for some kind of political office herself, um, that she had heard a little bit about Roger Stone in the news. And so they had that information and they did not request that she be excluded from the jury. So, um, so that was the process. Now, they are going to use some of that information to try to argue that he should have a new trial. Um, but based on what we've seen so far in terms of what's been reported and, and that record in the case, I don't think it looks like there is a substantial basis on which a judge would decide that he is more, uh, deserves a new trial. And Tulu, the other side uh, issue here is Attorney General Bill Barr. Uh, who has made it very clear he wished President Trump would stop tweeting and interfering uh, in uh, carrying out justice. And this is what uh, Barr said just a few days ago about this specific prosecution. The Stone case was prosecuted while I was attorney general, and I supported it. I think uh, it was established he was convicted of obstructing Congress and witness tampering, and I thought that was a righteous prosecution. Uh, and uh, I was happy that he was convicted. President Trump says not a fair process. He's getting ready to give him some sort of clemency, I think it's fair to say. The attorney general says it's a righteous prosecution. 
How long can Attorney General Barr stay in the job with President Trump doing this? Yeah, those are completely different messages. And not only is Barr saying that it was a righteous prosecution, but President Trump is attacking the prosecutors. He's attacking the judge. He's attacking the foreman of the jury. And Barr has said that that makes it impossible for him to do his job. He's laid it out there. He said it publicly that when the president keeps tweeting and commenting about a pending legal case, that he can't do his job as attorney general. The fact that the president has continued to comment and tweet about this case and now is sort of dangling this pardon does make it harder for Barr to have any credibility within the Justice Department that he's willing to stand up to the president. And if he's not willing to stand up to the president, there's going to be a lot of consternation within the Justice Department that Barr is not going to defend the independence of the Justice Department. And, and we'll have to see whether or not he does that. And, and Jackie, uh, during sentencing, the judge, Judge Jackson said, quote, the truth still exists. The truth still matters. Roger Stone's insistent that it doesn't. His belligerence, his pride in his own lies are a threat to our most fundamental institutions, to the foundations of our democracy. Well, the president took into account that Roger Stone didn't tell the truth and just that everybody lies. So this is a, this boils down to loyalty. Uh, Roger Stone has been a friend of the president's for several decades now. president doesn't have a lot of friends that go back that far and know him that well and have stuck by him as Roger Stone does. And I think that trumps what the attorney general says, what the judicial system has uh, uh, decided for Roger Stone. None of that matters. It, it, is, it is the fealty to the president, and Roger Stone has proven that to him. All right, everyone stick around. We've got a lot more to talk about. The attacks have not ended after the fiery Democratic debate. Why one candidate says the real winner of last night's debate wasn't even on the stage. Stay with us. After the most contentious Democratic debate this cycle, Michael Bloomberg is declaring President Trump the winner of last night's Democratic debate, to which the president tweeted, I agree. And there is some other good news for the president today. A new national Gallup poll shows for the first time ever more people approve of the job President Trump is doing than disapprove. That job approval poll is as of now an outlier, but it comes as new Quinnipiac polls in three key 2020 battleground states that Hillary Clinton lost last time. Find Mr. Trump leading the top Democratic contenders in hypothetical matchups in Wisconsin, though he's trailing or about even with the Democratic candidates in Michigan and Pennsylvania. A reminder, if Democrats only pick back up Pennsylvania and Michigan, but not Wisconsin, Trump gets reelected. Which Democrat can best prevent that from happening? As CNN's Ryan Nobles reports, the race right now is shaping up to be Bernie Sanders to lose. So how was your night last night? Michael Bloomberg today joking around, hoping to move past his lackluster debate performance, even as his main onstage foe, Elizabeth Warren, kept piling on. I'll bet he's reaching in his pocket and spending $100 million more on advertising to try to erase everyone's memory of what happened last night. But at a campaign stop in the Super Tuesday state of Utah, Bloomberg kept his eye on the front runner. If we choose a candidate who appeals to a small base like Senator Sanders, it will be a fatal error. For his part, Bernie Sanders telling me that Bloomberg's attacks are not what Democratic voters are looking for. We have more income and wealth inequality today than any time in the last hundred years. Mr. Bloomberg himself is worth more as one person than the bottom 125 million Americans. Sanders seeming to survive his first debate at the top of the polls, with so much of the focus on the new guy on stage, Bloomberg. Democrats take a huge risk if we just substitute one arrogant billionaire for another. I don't think you look at Donald Trump and say we need someone richer in the White House. 
Not just Bloomberg's billions, his opponents also attacked his past. Vice President Joe Biden raising Bloomberg's previous support for New York City's controversial stop-and-frisk policing. It's the policy. The policy was abhorrent, and it was, in fact, a violation of every right people have. While Warren challenged Bloomberg to release women who've alleged sexist and misogynistic behavior by Bloomberg and his company from non-disclosure agreements. So, Mr. Mayor, are you willing to release all of those women from those non-disclosure agreements so we can hear their side of the story? We have a very few non-disclosure agreements. How many is that? None of them accuse me of doing anything other than maybe they didn't like the joke I told. And let me just put, and let me put, there's a be, agreements between two parties that wanted to keep it quiet, and that's up to them. And one of the big knocks on Bernie Sanders from his Democratic opponents is that he won't have the ability to unite the Democratic Party should he win the nomination. To that end, I asked Senator Sanders today about his outreach to former President Obama, who's promised to play a big role once the nominating contest completes. Senator Sanders told me that he's actually in regular contact with President Obama, talking to him at least a couple of times in the past month or two. And he is very confident that should he win the nomination, that Barack Obama will be at his side. Jake. All right, Ryan, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Let's chew over all this with our political experts. A lot of Democrats seem to think uh, Elizabeth Warren had a really good night. Uh, take a listen. I'd like to talk about who we're running against. A billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. And no, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about Mayor Bloomberg. Now, Bloomberg denies uh, saying those things that were from a wit and wisdom book, a joke book from uh, 30 years ago, although some people say maybe he did say them. In any case, I do wonder, do you think that ultimately the debate benefited Bernie Sanders because there was so much attention on Bloomberg and not any, really, not much attention on the front runner, Bernie Sanders? It's astonishing. You're 72 hours before the Nevada caucuses. You're in Nevada. There's a front runner standing next to you for Nevada, and you attack somebody else. Somebody who's not even on the ballot in not Nevada. Not even on the Nevada ballot. You'll never see a debate like this where there's a clear frontrunner. Bernie might run away with it in Nevada. He's certainly got a, a, a lead there, I think. I mean, talk to people out there. Uh, and yet no one slowed his role. I, I've never seen anything like it. I know they hate Mike Bloomberg, whatever. And Bloomberg had a terrible debate, and Warren was terrific. Maybe this will get her some traction. But it was a bank shot when you had Bernie skated on his pledge to release comprehensive medical records. He skated standing in the shadow of the spot where 68 people were slaughtered with, with assault weapon. He opposed the assault weapon ban. He wasn't hardly called on that at all. It's amazing. Bernie Sanders would be very happy today. Um, and and, and uh, Mary Catherine, take a listen to Bloomberg today and his take on the debate. Look, the real winner in the debate last night was Donald Trump. Because I worry that we may very well be on the way to nominating somebody who cannot win in November. And if we choose a candidate who appeals to a small base like Senator Sanders, it will be a fatal error. What do you think? Look, I, I think he's maybe right on the merits. Uh, oh, this debate was so many things. Uh, <laughs> Democrats, Democrats saw POTUS take the beast around Daytona and they were like, how do we compete? Wednesday Night Raw. That's what we do. <laughs> Klobuchar off the top ropes. Warren with several folding chairs. And then Bloomberg, who was basically just getting pummeled for the first half, comes in with the surprise armbar on the socialist to make him list his ever-loving houses. Yeah. It was magnificent. And it may mark the degradation of the republic that I enjoyed it that much, and that's what I'm here for. <laughs> but this Real Housewives dinner party 
was what I was here for. And, and Jackie Buttigieg's campaign is out with a new memo today saying Bloomberg had the worst debate performance in the history of presidential debates. President said the same thing. Not only did Bloomberg <laughs> show that he cannot defeat Bernie Sanders, he showed he isn't capable of defeating uh, Donald Trump. That's fun. Uh, it, but, but I, so Buttigieg was the only one other than Bloomberg to try to take a shot at Bernie Sanders. And But when it comes to Warren, I just wanted to say the reason she didn't go after Bernie Sanders, there's no money in that. There's no fundraising and going after Bernie Sanders. If you're Elizabeth Warren, there certainly is with Michael Bloomberg. And we saw that last night and she's reaping the fruits of it. She even got a super PAC that she didn't want after the fact. <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting because I want to be I'm glad you brought that up because Elizabeth Warren has been really talking about how evil super PACs are. She doesn't have a super PAC. It's all this unregulated money and all this stuff. But today she basically said super PACs are okay. I don't have the exact quote, but it was she actually implied that there was something almost sexist about it because the male candidates all have super PACs or access to billionaires, while she and Amy Klobuchar do not. So she's she's flip-flopped on, on super PACs. Yeah, the purity tests that were so in vogue at the beginning of this process mm-hmm. are starting to fall by the wayside as, as some of these candidates realize that they're running out of time. If they don't show up in the next couple of races, they're going to have to drop out of this race. And if, whether it means having a super PAC, whether it means moving and modulating on some of their policy positions, they're trying to do whatever they can to stay in this race. And when you have Michael Bloomberg coming in with hundreds of millions of dollars, it makes him a big target. And it's part of the reason that they spent so much time focusing on him and not the front runner, Bernie Sanders, the person who is in the poll position to at least go into the convention with a lead in delegates, if not the outright majority. You know who's upset about this flip-flop by Elizabeth Warren? Democrats who ran for president mm-hmm. did not have super PACs because they were afraid of Elizabeth Warren's purity test, failing it, and then ultimately had to drop out. How, how do you think a Kamala Harris, a Cory yeah. Booker, a Tim Ryan, a Seth Moulton, whatever, how, how are they taking the news today? Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, I, I suppose Senator Warren uh, is thinking sometimes in politics you have to rise above principle. Uh, and that's what she's doing. Look, I, she's terrific. I don't have a candidate in this race. But if anything, she seemed to stand for reform. And uh, I used to help run a super PAC. I advised one. I'm not, I don't think they're per se immoral at all. Priorities USA? Priorities USA yeah. action. I'm no longer, I haven't been with them for a couple of years. But, but they're, they're not per se evil in my view. But I'm not Senator Warren telling everybody else that, that, that you have to meet my standard of purity. I, I, I doubt actually it's going to hurt her very much. I think she'll plow ahead. I, I just thought her debate performance last night was so impressive uh, that, that I think you're right, Jackie. She'll probably raise some money off of that. But I don't know... If it's going to be enough to, to claim back it could be the, a sugar the liberal lane from right. Bernie, who has a commanding lead. Nobody among the moderates has the sort of lead among moderate voters that Bernie has among liberal voters. I know Elizabeth Warren used to have that yes, lead, she did. and then it changed uh, last fall. Everyone stick around. We've got more to talk about. Coming up, it's not just his Democratic competitors expressing concerns about Bernie Sanders. Members of one very powerful group are raising questions ahead of Saturday's caucuses. Stay with us. And we're back with our 2020 lead. And while Senator Bernie Sanders seems to have emerged from last night's debate relatively unscathed, it's a battle with Nevada's largest union that could hurt his chances in this weekend's caucuses. As CNN's Kyung La reports from Las Vegas, even a promise on last night's stage may not be enough to calm fears about what Sanders' Medicare for All proposal might mean for union members who have generous health insurance plans. 
Just hours to the Nevada caucuses. Who's got the power? The 60,000 member culinary union, including casino worker Alicia Sosa. I'm fighting for my health care. Is fighting on the picket line to unionize more workers at another casino. My husband has asthma and we fought for that because we couldn't afford it. Now I can and he can and he can be with me longer. We should be able to have that. Our choice. It's our choice. She's talking about her union health care. In one building, she gets doctor's visits, prescriptions, and eye care, all covered. The culinary union warned its members a vote for Bernie Sanders and his Medicare for All plan would mean an end to union health care. I'm not sure about um, the Medicare for All, if that's a good idea or not. You know, it sounds good. It always sounds good, but I'm not sure. The union battle spilled onto the debate stage. You're the one who is at war with the culinary union right here in Las Vegas. Support than you have ever dreamed of. Sanders then directly addressed the union members. To my good friends in the Culinary Workers Union, a great union, I will never sign a bill that will reduce the health care benefits they have. On the picket line, the courting of the union vote was in full swing. One by one, every top candidate on the Nevada ballot, except for Sanders, marched with workers. But while Medicare for All is not a deal breaker for every union member. We're not going to leave them out yet. You're not going to leave them out. You're, you'd be open to them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thank you. Thank you. It is weighing on Suzanne Poquez. Oh, there you go. She met Amy Klobuchar at the Culinary Health Care Center. Do you believe Bernie Sanders when he says Medicare for All will replace this and take care of everybody? No, I, I, I really don't believe that. I'm scared because if, if he ends that, where are we going to go? Now, while the union made clear what they think about Sanders' health care plan, they specifically did not endorse a candidate. And here's something else to know about this union. It is powerful. It is also majority Latino. Bernie Sanders has made significant efforts to court the Latino vote here in the state of Nevada. The question will be, Jake, is if this issue with the union will blunt his campaign's efforts. All right, Kyung Law in Las Vegas, Nevada. Thank you so much. Obviously, the Nevada caucus is coming up on Saturday. Fresh off that last night's heated Democratic debate, presidential hopefuls, former Vice President Joe Biden and Senator Elizabeth Warren will join CNN for a live town hall this evening. It starts at 8 p.m. Eastern tonight, only on CNN. Coming up, it's the one quality President Trump seems to value above all else, loyalty to him. We'll ask a former director of national intelligence how much that will help or hurt Trump's new acting intelligence chief. President Trump has long been accused of priding loyalty to him above all other qualities, way above experience, way above independence. His critics, such as House Speaker Nancy Pelosi today, are arguing that the appointment of Richard Grinnell to be the acting director of national intelligence is just the latest case in point. Grinnell, the current U.S. ambassador to Germany, is hardly known for his intelligence expertise. He is primarily known and beloved by conservatives for his outspoken defense and advocacy of the president and his policies. As CNN's Alex Marquardt reports, Grinnell also has a long history of rhetorical knife fighting as a fierce, even vicious partisan. The director of national intelligence is a job that, by definition, demands experience, requires objective presentation of intelligence and a non-political approach. In Rick Grinnell, the president has chosen the direct opposite. I found the position of director of national intelligence very tough. 
And so I, I can't imagine uh, the challenge that somebody has in that position learning the ABCs of intelligence on the job. America. Critics like Democratic Senator Ron Wyden on the Senate Intelligence Committee blasting the choice today as proof that President Trump values unquestioning obedience over the safety of the American people. That sentiment echoed by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi today, who said Grinnell's sole qualification is his absolute loyalty to the president. Senior Republicans, though, are silent over making Grinnell the acting director, which, by law, is someone who shall have extensive national security expertise. Grinnell has no intelligence or military experience. He's the current ambassador to Germany, a loyal attack dog for President Trump, who has a history of vulgar, sexist, now deleted tweets about women, including former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and former First Lady Michelle Obama, saying... Michelle Obama is working out on The Biggest Loser. She is sweating on the East Room's carpet. There are times where what was intended to be humorous turned out to be not so humorous. While many Trump allies want to see the president tweet less, Grinnell supports it. It makes my job so much easier. I like having a president who's willing to be very tough. Grinnell replaces acting director Joseph McGuire, a retired admiral and former Navy SEAL who has been leading the intelligence community's 17 different organizations since last August. McGuire had stayed under the president's radar, rarely speaking in public, but he did voice his support for the whistleblower who sparked the investigation that led to the impeachment of President Trump. I want to stress that I believe that the whistleblower and the inspector general have acted in good faith throughout. So, Jake, this now means that yet another player in this Ukraine investigation, Joseph McGuire, is being pushed out. The news coming the same day that a top Pentagon official, John Rood, who is also involved, was asked to resign. Truth tellers and non-loyalists clearly not valued by the Trump administration. Meanwhile, Rick Grinnell tweeted today that this is a temporary appointment and that the president will nominate someone else to be director of national intelligence soon. Jay. All right, Alex Marquardt, thanks so much. Uh, joining me now to discuss is retired four-star Admiral Dennis Blair. He served as the director of national intelligence under President Obama. Admiral, thanks so much for being here. We appreciate it. Be here, uh, what are the most important qualifications for this job. And this position was created after 9-11, right? right. So right. What, what, do you, what do you need to do to be able to uh, do it well? The fundamental skill and mission of the Director of National Intelligence is to integrate these 17 different agencies, each with matchless skills, but the real challenge of intelligence is putting them together to steal the secrets of people and countries that are against us and feed them to policymakers and troops in the field who are trying to do their job and make, them, make sure they do it better. Is it important to have a lot of experience or expertise even in intelligence? Yes, yes, it, it is. I mean, it, it, like, like all complicated big organizations, the person on the top ought to have some experience of what's going on down below in order to be able to make it better. Uh, we all try to leave it better than we found it, and you have to know something about it rather than spend all your time in school when you're on the job. So Rick Rennell, um, he's the ambassador to Germany. Mm -hmm. Uh, he attended Harvard's Kennedy School. He worked at the U.N., served as a top American diplomat to Germany for some years. Based on what you know about his expertise, is that enough to do this job? It kind of depends whether he's a good manager, a good thinker, listens to his people, all of that stuff. And I, I, I don't know the gentleman, so uh, I don't know. But um, if you look at temporary appointment, what, he's the fourth director of national intelligence we've had within the last year. Yeah. 
and, uh, and, and now we're heading into an election and all, uh, the, the place will be basically treading water for, uh, for a while, no matter how good he is. And certainly without experience, even if he is good man, as a manager, uh, he's got to take time to learn the, learn the issues. And so it's, a, it's bad. It would be much better to get somebody who has experience in the organization, can move things as they need to do to give us better intelligence for the country. It's hard to not look at this in terms of how President Trump uh, v- picks people. Right. He wants loyalty to him, not necessarily somebody, not necessarily the best person for the job. He wants somebody that he can trust 100 percent. And, and uh, I don't think it's any secret that, you know, Joseph McGuire, uh, who's on his way out the door mm-hmm. by saying that the whistleblower in the Ukraine scandal, you know, acted with integrity and, and backing that up and also ultimately getting the whistleblower report to, to Congress, as he was required right. by law to do that it's easy to see how that person could have run afoul, Joseph McGuire, uh, of President Trump. Yeah, I mean, I, I know Joe McGuire, fine person. I think he can pass the big test, which I think most of us in certain uniform has, which is can we look in the mirror when we're shaving the next morning and feel proud of what we see? And I think Joe can do that and, and good for him. But I think there is one thing that's important to note is the, the uh, national intelligence uh, enterprise is a huge over $60 billion worth of people, hundreds of thousands of people. And what they do with the president is only a tiny fraction of, of, of what they actually accomplish, which is providing intelligence to the troops in the field, to diplomats, to policemen, to, uh, to the Department of Homeland Land Security. So what we read about of this um, interaction with the president, the president's daily briefing, all of this stuff, is really just a tiny fraction. And 99% of the intelligence professionals are working with people who value intelligence, who want it to be good, who will tell the intelligence people if they get it wrong, work together to make it better because that makes for better policy, better actions, fewer Americans killed and hurt and, and wounded. So you know, don't, don't be distracted by this sort of little froth at the top. Uh, it's, it's what's going on with this huge organization, a big part of our national security apparatus that's important. Yeah, well, we all certainly hope that Rick Rennell figures it out pretty quick. Admiral, thanks so much for okay. being here. Really appreciate it. Uh, Acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney taking a shot at his own party for something he's actually kind of in charge of. That's next. In our money lead, it is the morbidly obese, ever-expanding elephant in the room, one that even Mick Mulvaney cannot stand. In a speech in the U.K. yesterday, the Acting White House Chief of Staff Mulvaney said, quote, My party is very interested in deficits when there's a Democrat in the White House. The worst thing in the whole world is deficits when Barack Obama was the president. Then Donald Trump became president and we're a lot less interested as a party, unquote. The deficit is expected to hit $1 trillion this year. Again, something Mulvaney called, quote, extraordinarily disturbing. Experts say the deficit's increasing in part because of the president's tax cuts and a budget deal that boosted federal spending. If only Mulvaney knew somebody powerful who might be able to work on solving the problem. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thanks so much for watching. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season... 
we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.